Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Daniel Collins, welcome to the tennis.com podcast. It is awesome catching up with you from New York City. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? <laughs> We're awesome. So let's talk about New York. What's the bubble life been like? When did you get there? How has the experience been? Yeah, um, honestly, for me, it's been pretty great so far. I feel like uh, having this bubble has made everything so much more efficient. Um, because everything's in one spot. So if I need to go to the physio, if I need to get food, if I need to do anything, I can get it done here. So it's kind of nice not having to run around New York City and worrying about getting to dinners or getting to different events. And I certainly would like to go back to normal um, at some point, but I will say it's just made things a little bit more convenient and a little less stressful in some ways um, because everything you need is kind of here. Um, and I've been pretty preoccupied with other things. Um, I'm trying to apply for my master's degree. Um, so I've been busy doing stuff on my laptop. And so time flies when you're like cranking out application essays and doing that kind of stuff. I feel like, um, yeah, it, it's kind of been a good distraction. So, um, I've been busy. Um, there has been some times where I've been getting bored and it's a little bit different than, you know, my personality. I'm pretty free spirited and, um, I don't like to be caged in, um, but I'm staying wild. So <laughs> in my own way, <laughs> that's awesome to hear. Um, that's really awesome that you're applying for your master's props to you. What's your go-to meal? Uh, in general, or um, I would say I like to have chicken and rice and like a vegetable. Like, I know that's pretty simple, but during tournaments, I, I just try to stick to the basics um, and I follow a pretty strict diet. So um, it's kind of important that I just stick to basic stuff and not, not get too crazy. <laughs> What's the food you're craving the most outside of the bubble in New York? Is there anything you have your eye on? Like you said, you after afterwards, hypothetically, if you're allowed to. Yeah, I haven't been able to, cause I'm doing a dairy free diet. So I'll cheat every once in a while, but not leading up to an event. So I've been really wanting to have, um, dairy free ice cream from Ben and Jerry's and it's not available on Uber Eats. I don't know if oh, man. It's, maybe there's not a Ben and Jerry's close to where we're staying right now, but yeah, I haven't been able to have like my dairy free ice cream. So I've been kind of sad. <laughs> is that uh, just purely like you just wanted to go dairy free or is it just? Yeah. Um, so I started doing like a more specific diet once, um, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis um, because there's things that can kind of trigger flare up. So it was important that I was able to identify the things that would kind of 
caused me to have like a reaction. Um, and I, of course, had a ton of things that I was in, intolerant to or allergic to. So just had to make some lifestyle changes really, um, which are hard because I feel like everything that's good has dairy or gluten in them. So, you know, sometimes when I'm having to have like the organic, just, you know, like berries at breakfast and organic berries from Whole Foods, you know, um, I, it, it can get kind of boring and bland at times, but I feel better this way. So I try to stick to it. I'm trying to do more plant-based stuff too, not as much meat. So, um, and I've been learning to like cook different, uh, vegan meals at home. So I've enjoyed that. It's a little bit harder when you, when you travel to try to find, you know, get that specific, uh, type of food, but, um, at least I can make it at home. So that's a good thing. <laughs> that's one of the perks of being in quarantine. You can learn how to cook vegan meals. Yes. There you go. Yeah. And you have full control of what you're eating while maybe at a tournament, you might not have the same access in terms of, in terms of the rheumatoid arthritis, do you have to check up with a doctor more often than you used to in the past? Is there someone that's helping you guide you through this? Like what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I go to a doctor every three months for blood work and then they kind of just monitor, um, my blood levels and what's going on. And this has been the healthiest that I've been, honestly, um, the last four or five months. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with the diet because I've kind of figured out what will trigger um, some of those flares with my joints. Um, so that, that's been the most helpful thing for me aside from the treatment. I'm sure also traveling with your dog helps a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it definitely brings my stress levels down. It keeps me a little bit more zen. <laughs> <laughs> What's it been like being back in WT action? Because I know you played a ton of exhibitions during the summer, but now back in WTA action has it felt different because you didn't play since the Australian Open and then came back in Cincy I believe yeah yeah I mean it's it's been the longest period of time where I've just been training so being in the training mode is so much different from being in the competing mode and just having to shake off the rust a little bit but um it's been nice to being on site and practicing with the other um ladies you know I I feel like um, you know, you get used to just being at home and hitting with like the, the college boys or uh, my hitting partner. But now it's nice that I'm able to compete with the girls like in practice and it just makes it kind of more fun. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go back on the court and get competing again because eight months of training is a very long time, you know, of just kind of every day going through the same type of drills and the same type of practices and the same type of training. I love it. And I'm really passionate about it, but I'm ready to kind of mix it up. <laughs> Did you ever like take any time off? Because I mean, eight months of training is a lot. I mean, I, I haven't heard very many players that actually were training that consistently. Maybe Sonia yeah, can. I, mean, that's I, mean, about it. I wasn't going to be able to play um, uh, Indian Wells because I had a tear in my ab. Um, I had a grade uh, three tear. So I wasn't going to be able to compete um, probably until Europe. Um, so it gave me a little bit more time to slowly build up into things. Um, this is the first time when I tried to come back, it was too soon and it wasn't completely healed and I rushed the process a bit too soon. So it, it really, when everything kind of came to a stop, it ended up 
working out okay for me because I needed more time to heal. I mean, I was still practicing, still training. There were still a lot of things that I was doing in the gym and was able to do, but it just gave me a little bit more freedom to not have to worry about, okay, I gotta be, I gotta be ready for this tournament. I gotta get out there again. And then I gotta sign up for these tournaments, you know, that kind of stress. So I guess in some ways it was good for me. We have heard about how the shutdown kind of did time right for some players dealing with injuries, but you ended up playing at the UTR in West Palm Beach. What kind of culture shock was it getting on court with, at that point, it was no fans. Everyone was kind of freaking out about temperature checks and safety and cleaning. How how bizarre was it, or was it just like going to practice? Um, it was pretty... Um... It was a pretty relaxed vibe. I mean, they followed all of the health and safety protocols that needed to be followed. Um, and, you know, I think the event did a really good job making sure that everybody felt safe and, and healthy. And there was no, I don't think there was any fear in our minds. It was just a bit odd going from how we used to operate to everything being so sterile and everything sanitized and having our little player tents and kind of having to, you know, do the social distancing and keep, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a lot to get used to because we didn't, I mean, we didn't operate this way in the past. So yeah, it was a bit different. And especially too, with picking, there were no ball kids there. So just like picking up your own balls, making sure in that tournament that we were playing with a, like we had our own balls with our own markings on them. So just like trying to keep track of that and then not, touch the other person's ball but it was great that they were able to have the event um because at least we got a little bit of a taste of competition um so I was happy I was like yes good to go out of the house get to get out of the house for a little while and go down to South Florida and enjoy myself Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Tennis.com podcast with special guest Danielle Collins. She's telling us about her humble beginnings and why college tennis was the right path for her. Keep listening. At the end of the day, I mean, you're here for your job. So a lot of people do say like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. You get to travel to all these cities. And I'm like, I'm actually there to play a tournament, bud. Like, that's what we're here for. Oh, I know. And I have like a lot of like distant family members that will reach out to me and they're like, all right, yeah, like I'm thinking about doing a trip to the to the French Open. I'm like, well, don't come to see me because you're probably not going to get to see me and I don't want you to be disappointed if we can't get together for dinner during the tournament because I'm busy. And I mean, really, it's, it is a full-time job. And I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, you know, you get to travel, you get to see all of these great things. And um, I, I do try to make a conscious effort to to take time to do sightseeing and take in the full experience because I realize it's, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity that so many people would love to have. And, and I'm so grateful for it. It does make things easier um, with my boyfriend now traveling with me because, you know, we do a lot of trips um, after tournaments to like a place that we pick together. 
and I've gotten to see and go to some really cool places um, doing that. You know, like I, we went, we did a trip to Europe last year uh, to Nice and Monaco and that was amazing. And then this year after the Australian Open, we um, went to Byron Bay and Noosa and yeah, I've, I mean, now like some of my favorite trips have been like the non-tennis trips, like the tennis trips or the trips after the tennis, you know? So. It gives you something to look forward to as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm already kind of like, okay, when the season ends and I don't have to be in the bubble, what am I going to do? And I'd really like to maybe after the Europe tournaments go to Budapest. It's so different. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. different now. Cause like you were like, Oh, I want to go here and here, but can we go there? Can we not? But I do agree. Like I I've, whenever I've done work related trips, I always think like, okay, but where can I go from here for like three or four days or two days on a vacation? That's the way to do it. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, you only live once, so I feel like you have to take it all in. Absolutely. Well, I mean, speaking of trips, uh, obviously there are so many things that are up in the air. Um, I'm guessing you're playing Roland Garros after this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So after, after Roland Garros, I mean, are you just going to play out the rest of the season? Do you have an idea as to what your season's going to look like? Um, well, I, I know there's still some things that are up in the air with just the WTA schedule. So I would like to continue playing after Roland Garros. I guess it will just kind of come down to the dates of those tournaments. Um, so if there's more tournaments in Europe, I would like to stay over there and play. Um, if not, then I'll have to reassess what, what we'll be able to do. But yeah, I would love to be able to compete the rest of the, you know, through at least through November. You're ranked 53. You've been ranked higher. You've made the semis of a grand slam. Do you feel like really settled into the top of the tour? Like the top hundred, do you feel comfortable? Like your job, it's almost like a job security question. Do you feel like you have that or does it always feel like you might lose, lose it? How does that, how does that work as someone who's ranked so high? Oh, I mean, I kind of, um, you know, I have high expectations of myself and I set, you know, really high goals, but I think there's also value to being in the moment and not getting too caught up on those things. Um, because it's just toxic energy and I, I, would love to be a top 10 player. I'm not a top 10 player right now, but maybe that'll happen in the future, you know? And I just have to focus on what I have to do every day. And I just try to take it one day at a time. Um, Cause I think when you start paying attention to the rankings too much and you start thinking about, oh, my job security or what's going to happen if I, you know, if this happens or that happens, you know, it, it you can't really control that. Um, you can only control what's in front of you. So. Um, I know too, you know, I'm pretty confident, uh, with my skills outside of tennis that I would be able to be a pretty successful human being. So I don't worry too much, to be honest. Um, I think now with COVID it, it is a, a bit of a worry to a lot of people with so many people losing their jobs and being laid off. And, you know, I couldn't imagine if, you know, I, started performing really terribly and all of a sudden I couldn't play tournaments and then I needed to 
think about getting a job, you know, I would really have to put some time into thinking about what I would go into, but I'm, I think I'm a, I think right now with where I'm at, I'm a bit far away from, you know, so. You have a long career ahead of you, girl. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel confident. I manage my money well. I've done a good job at that and worked with the right people. And I'm really fortunate to be in that situation. So, um, yeah, I just try to, I, I love competing. I just want to go out and compete. <laughs> Everyone's mentioned a big deal about the no fans thing, but I heard you in another interview saying that you'll compete anywhere. The no fans thing, you're still going to bring that same energy that people and fans expect from you when they're watching you, right? Like, does it affect you that much? Or are you in your own head pushing yourself with that energy? Yeah, well, I mean, I think what makes being a professional athlete so special is having a fan base and playing in front of hundreds of people. I mean, that is one of the coolest experiences that you'll ever get to have as a professional athlete. And, you know, I have people that will travel all around the world that will come and, and come up to me and say, I, I watched you play in the U S open. I'm here at the Australian open and I'm going to the French open. So to not have those experiences and interactions with the fans is, is really sad. And, and I wish it could be different, but right now we, you know, have to kind of get through this and, um, Right now, it's the only way to, to be able to do what, what we do is to not have fans at the moment. And hopefully it goes back to, to normal um, sooner rather than later. But um, for me, I, I, can't, I come from humble beginnings. I grew up playing in a public uh, park. Um, and the public park that I still practice at down the street from my house has potholes and weeds growing through the lines and a net strap missing and I'll never complain about it. Um, I just like going out and working at my game and, and doing the best that I can. I'm not, um, I'm not really going to complain much about the, uh, the situation that we're in. I'm just grateful that to have my job and, and to be able to go out and play and compete. And whether I'm at court seven at, Jack Purrier Park in, in St. Pete, Florida, or I'm on Arthur Ashe at the U.S. Open, I'm going to still bring the same energy and effort. Um, and I think everybody should. You know, I think it's going to be harder not having the fans, of course, but they're going to be watching. So I got I to gotta bring something for them. So hopefully I do a good job. It seems as though those humble beginnings have really kept you grounded throughout the years. Yeah, I, I think it makes you hungrier too when you're not handed everything in life. Um, it, it's given me a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, I think, at times. Um, but I've persevered and I've worked hard, and um, you know, I have gotten to have some experiences that I've dreamt of having for so long, um, since I was a little girl and, and to be able to reach these goals, to be able to put myself in a situation to continue to get better. I'm, I'm really, um, grateful that I've been able to do that. And, um, I always remember where I come from, you know, the other days, my hitting partner was changing my grip and I was like, you don't need to change the grip. It's not worn out enough yet. You know, I don't like cutting strings out of rackets um, if they haven't been played with enough because I don't like wasting. Um, and, you know, I'm my parents, you know, like I 
was told every night, like, you got to finish your dinner. Like, I don't like throwing away food. And I try to stay true to the, the values that my parents um, instilled in me as a kid. And um, yeah, I think it's helped my tennis for sure. That's really awesome. Props to you. Thanks. And, and your parents. Yeah. <laughs> they did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, listeners. This is an episode with special guest Danielle Collins. She's talking about pursuing her master's degree and her interests beyond tennis. Keep listening. I feel like your story is so intertwined with college tennis because you crushed it at UVA and won two titles, but no one ever really thinks about what Daniel Collins was like as a kid. Like, when did you want to have this pro dream? Was it something you had before you went to college or was it something that materialized in college? It sounds like you had as a kid. Did you? Yeah, I think all kids when when you're especially very young, I think everybody is like, I want to be a professional tennis player, but you don't know what all of that entails. You don't know at eight years old, how expensive that is, what the price tag of that's going to cost. You don't know um, all of the sacrifices that you're going to have to give up in your life to achieve your dreams. And for me, it wasn't going to be possible to have a professional career going from high school to the pros like it just wasn't going to it, it wouldn't have been able to happen my parents my dad um mows lawns for a living and my mom is a preschool teacher and i think that says enough um, they do not have the budget to be able to pay for a professional tennis career and that's okay um i think i realized at about 13 or 14 um I was working with a coach in St. Pete and his daughter played tennis at Syracuse. And I really looked up to her and I adored her. And, um, Tommy told me one day, he said, you know, you can be just like Katie and you can go to college and get the same experience. And then you can play professional after, and you won't have to worry like a lot of the other people, you know, on tour about, what will happen if tennis doesn't work out or if you get injured. And so, um, you know, that kind of planted the seed in my head that there were going to be other opportunities or ways that I could get to the professional level. Um, but it would just take some time. And I think too, from a maturity standpoint, I wasn't ready physically or mentally to be able to go from where I came from into that professional environment. I think I needed to have some more time to mature and to develop my game. And I, I certainly did that in college um, through the experiences that I had. And I was so grateful to be able to go to UVA and be in that environment. Um, we had a highly competitive um, team where I was challenged and practiced every day. We had great coaches that led the way. Um, and then, we played in a strong conference too in the ACC. So, you know, I always had challenging matches while I was in school. So um, I think I certainly made the right decision going to college because it wasn't, it wasn't a perfect transition. It wasn't like I won every single match in college either. You know, I, I had times where um, 
you know, I wasn't even playing and the lineup. I mean, <laughs> so I had to really work for it and work my way up. And I'm grateful for those experiences because I think it makes you appreciate it um, playing at this level a little bit more than, you know, when you're, you know, really young and you kind of just have a lot of success all at once and you, you don't have other life experiences aside from tennis. I think it makes it hard to look at things from a bigger perspective. Yeah, in hindsight, all these decisions and the pathway you took has worked out so, so well. And I know we, I know you're 26, lots of time left, but you have a jewelry line, right? Have you thought a little bit about what you want to do with that? Is that still something you're working on? Is that something you're interested in for the future? Maybe like. In the yeah, industry? so I did a um, collaboration with Ratani and we're still working together. Um, we, yeah, we've had some success and I, I have thought about, you know, continuing forward, what my goals are in the future. And, um, you know, jewelry is a, has been a big passion of mine. I'm a very artistic um, person. Uh, surprisingly, I don't know if many people know that, but that's one way that I'm kind of able to get my artistic fix is designing jewelry and, and kind of escaping from the tennis world and going into the more creative side of life. Um, so it's, it's a fun thing for me. It's something that I really enjoy that I'm really passionate about. And that's the biggest thing. Um, but right now I'm kind of now focusing on trying to get into a master's program. So now my, my focus is shifting a little bit. Um, that's not to say I don't want to continue to still do my jewelry line. I, I think that we're still going to continue to make some awesome pieces and I'll be wearing those on court. But um, yeah, I think I'm just kind of, you know, also thinking about other opportunities in the future as well and other areas that I'd like to go into. You did mention about uh, how you know that you have enough skills outside of being a tennis player to be a very successful human being. If you were to kind of just sit back and see yourself like 15, 20 years down the road, what, what do you see like Danielle Collins doing then? I'm sorry if it's a loaded question. You don't have to answer it, but I'm just curious. I like talk about this all day because, um, <laughs> you know, right now I'm, I'm applying for master's program in sports management. So I would love to be able to lead an organization, um, not necessarily in tennis, but in another sport. Um, and I think I would be able to offer um, a lot of experience um, aside from just a business perspective. I think that I can also, I would also be able to do that well. Um, but just my, my experience as an athlete, I think I would be able to work with other athletes um, and have a positive impact on um, team, like in a team setting. So I've kind of thought about that, but it's funny today on the bus, I was talking about so random. I, my boyfriend kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, I was kind of thinking maybe I'll get a master's in construction management because, you know, I think it would be really cool to, to work in a, like um, for a company that does like electrical engineering and construction and permitting and contracting. And so like totally like outside of what I was just talking about. Um, so my brain has been very open to a lot of different ideas. Um, I consulted with a lot of different people on this and have had some really interesting discussions. So I think I'm still trying to kind of figure out um, what direction I really want to go into, but 
for right now, it's definitely sports management, but that's not to say that I couldn't see myself working in another industry as well. I definitely want to work um, on the business side of things and in a leadership role. Um, that's a that's a goal of mine. Um, and I love sports. So that's something that I would, you know, I'd be really staying true to my, to my passion, what I, what I love to do. You know, I think there's other fields that I might get bored with. So <laughs> it almost sounds like you'd, it'd be like a advisor kind of position, like just giving advice to people and, you know, athletes coming up and you say you manage your money well. So I'm sure that you could also shed light into that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it will be interesting to see, like, once um, my tennis career is over, kind of what I end up going into, because um, I've thought about a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, I would love to be uh, somebody that, you know, players would be able to go to and talk to about their concerns. And I would also like to be able to organize and manage people who are helping those players and trying to come up with the best system for athletes. It's great though. I think it's great. And I mean, I think, I think we've, we spent a lot of time with you today and I'm really, it's been awesome catching up and talking with you and looking ahead, best of luck at the U S open and beyond because there's so much more tennis, hopefully to be played in 2020. So I just want to thank you for your time. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was super refreshing. (laughs) Good luck. Good luck in the open and uh, good luck in all your endeavors 15, 20 years from now. So (laughs) thank you. Thanks. Good luck to you too as well. You know, you guys are working hard, so. (laughs) Crying. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers, Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers, Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.